It's life on life's terms. All right, we yeah. are live. Oh, hold on one sec. Oh. False start. Uh, this is the Life on Life's Terms podcast, and I am Tom Robinson, and we are not affiliated with any 12-step programs, although we're big fans. Yes. Uh, my name is Chris Mandeville, and we are here at a New Way Recovery Center in Quincy, Mass., on Quincy Ave. Um, lots of resources here and yeah. they are ever so gracious to let us use this space to provide this podcast so Fantastic thank you people. a new way thank you um so if you like the podcast and you want to get the podcast all the time you can subscribe on itunes google play apple podcast apple podcast you can go to lolterms.com and we have all of our podcasts on there yep and and you can also subscribe through through the site. Yes, if, if absolutely. You're, if you're Android, you have to download a player on Google Play, and then, then you can search us, the Life on Life's Terms podcast. And, uh, yeah, the, the audio podcast is great because you can listen to it anytime, you know, commuting, working out, all that good stuff, and uh, we could use the support. Yes, so. um, and if anyone is interested in sharing their story and would like to be on the podcast... We ask that you message us um, personally or through the page. Uh, we can ha- we can get messages through the page. Yep. Um, and you don't have to be in recovery. Uh, we want like people who may have lost a sibling or a husband or wife or or the we, parents of someone who's been through yes, uh, the ringer. Yes. And come um, out the other side. Any possibly. anyone that is touched by addiction or alcoholism. Um, or any kind. People, treatment professionals are welcome yes. to come on and, and share their opinions. Yes. Doctors, first responders. Yep. Um, everyone is affected by addiction. So we want to hear from everyone because we want to come at this from all angles. Yeah, we got to get opposing sides. So we have yes. opinions back and forth. You yeah. know what I mean? We got to get another microphone. Get a little debate going yeah. here someday. Screaming, yelling. Yeah. Chains no. Flying. No. It's all okay. about the love. It's all love. Um, and tonight, <laughs> tonight we have Angelica, and um, the way I met her was actually through Facebook. I seen her post something about a mom's group that she started, and I hit her up and asked if she knew about any dad's groups, and she was like, no, but you can what start a, one. What a novel concept. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it just started from there, and I started like seeing her posts and they were very inspirational and I seen a couple things that I thought would be a very good powerful topic on this podcast. So, if you're a mom out there and you've struggled, I think you're going to want to listen to this. Um so we're going to turn it over to Angela and she's going to share with us. Angelica. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I mean, Angelica. Angelica, okay. sorry. 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 <laughs> Um, Okay, so this is a little weird for me because I've never shared my experience, strength, and hope in front of a microphone. Right. So less intimidating, though. Right. It's only weird for the first five minutes. Okay. Cool. Um, So um, 
growing up for me, um, I never felt like I was pretty enough. I never felt like I was smart enough. I never felt like I fit in. Um, I can remember being in the second grade and walking through the lunch line and looking at all the other children around me and wondering how they believed that they deserved to eat this food and, and learn with a pen. And, and I, I say this story because at you know, in the second grade, my self-worth was so low that I didn't even think that I deserved to eat food and write with a pen. And wow, in wow. the second grade. Second wow. grade. Yep, at Hedge School. That, that actually occurred to you, like, how, how are these people all taking this for granted? Is that the It was the like, feeling? how do they think that they deserve to eat this food and learn with a paper and pen? And I don't even know why I felt that way, but that's how I felt. Wow, that's wild. <clears throat> so how was home life memory. at that age? Um, I was raised by a single father who was in recovery. <clears throat> um, he did the best that he could. Um, definitely... Um, a lot of yelling and stuff like that, but I didn't have a mom growing up because of her addiction. And um, so, yeah, life at home wasn't the typical mother, father, family. It was me, my dad, and my brother. Yeah. Um, mm. He was in recovery and in college and raising two kids on his own. So you can imagine how stressful that was. Yes, you know? and, and I would say back then the steps and recovery weren't as as prevalent as prevalent yeah, as yeah. they are now right uh, it's a lot of uh dry drunks they right. as they right. call it like right. yeah you gotta go to meetings you gotta do this yeah. And, yeah. and that does nothing for anger right you know or right. how to raise right. kids or how to right. deal with your feelings right so. well it, it, i mean it, it works for some people yes probably, yes you know. yes I for some some are sicker than others yep you know so, so yeah, so, and I tell that story because, you know, when I first picked up a substance at 12 years old, um, I finally felt like I was okay. I finally felt comfortable in my skin. I felt like I had fi finally found the thing that I've been looking for my entire life. And yep. I ran with that. Um, yeah. Started with, you know, smoking weed, drinking alcohol, um, <clears throat> hanging out with older guys, um, I like to talk about that as well because, you know, growing up with just like a single father and not having that motherly figure in my life, um, I noticed that I looked to older men to make yep. me feel good about myself and um, validation, validation, identity. Yep, yep. And and they told me that I was beautiful and they told me that I was pretty and, and, I, and I loved that, you know. Um, TMI, too much information. If I share that at 12 years old, like I lost my virginity to a 16 year old, you know, yep. and uh, yeah, just and I and I, you know, the drugs got harder and and I just hung out with guys and and then it went from um, <clears throat> using drugs to selling drugs. And uh, mm -hmm. at 16 years old, I was arrested for possession, trafficking, attempt to distribute, and conspiracy to violate the controlled substance law. Um, Whoa! Yeah. Really? At sixteen? At sixteen, so I was charged as a minor. Did you have to get a lawyer? Uh, my father lawyer? told me. <laughs> my father told me to uh, plead guilty and take whatever was coming. Yeah. And, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I didn't listen to my father. Good, but, good. Uh, <laughs> I hope you, did. I yeah. hope you didn't. <laughs> but the I, I, that was me. Like, <laughs> right? Uh, but most of the time, it was because I was sick. Right. It's like. Yeah. A probation, guilty. Yep, get me out of here yeah. so I can go get high. Right. Or right. off E. Right. Yeah, but that's not probation. That's 
That's juvenile detention for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Tend to distribute. Ugh. So 16. Ugh. I mean, yeah. I was selling drugs at 16, but what was it? What uh, were you selling at the time? Cocaine. Lots and lots. Maybe acid. <laughs> weed. Right. Um, but, you know. So like you was, like you yourself, a lot of cocaine. Yeah, so I, I I came from a a, <laughs> a, a single parent home that's raised bad. by a mom. You know, it was just mom, mm-hmm. and like I shared a few minutes ago, at the age of thirteen, I got a girl pregnant. She was older than me, and you know, like I, I obviously I had no idea what I was doing, right. you know, but seeking that validation. Uh, mom was always working, never home. It was me and my younger sister, you know, and like 12 years old, smoking weed, drinking, you mm-hmm. know, like not stuff that you should be doing at that age. Yeah. Right. But right. when this par- when the parents ain't around and right. they got to be, you know, they mm-hmm. got to work, they got to go to school, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, we're afforded with a lot of time to ourselves and a lot of bad decisions we can make. Right. So... Right. Was this all taking place in Plymouth? Plymouth, yeah. I uh, Plymouth. I went to high school in Plymouth, and uh, we used to like jump down on the rock and grab all the change and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Oh yeah, I did that when I was little too. <laughs> yep. My brother. Did squirt really. the tourists with squirt guns and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> so you didn't plead guilty. I didn't plead guilty, but the judge looked at me and saw everybody that I was affiliated with and associated with, and he was like, "We're we're just gonna." We're going to lock you up until you're 18. So I was 16. And then by the time I finally got in front of the judge, I was 17. So it was a year. So I did a year in juvie. Okay. Yeah. What was that like? And where where was that? Um, In Roxbury and Dorchester and Lakeville. Oh, in Lakeville. <laughs> Lakeville, right. From, from Roxbury to Dorchester to Lakeville. Well, yeah, right. And so the judge gave me 90 days. That's what was my sentence. But the first six months didn't count because I was like in holdings. And oh, then Lakeville, oh, was so, the, Lakeville was the 90 days. It was like a nice uh, house yeah. with bunk beds. Oh, really? And it was like a sober house or a halfway house. That's what it was like. Oh. But I didn't know that then. So you were in legit detention centers yes. awaiting your 90 days. Yes. And it then was, when you got to your 90 days, it was like, it was like cushy. Yeah. Because wow, it was well, Lake, that's, though. That's pretty yeah. good. That's, yeah. that's, we climbed that's trees good. and did all kinds of stuff outside. It was cool. And then after that, you stayed sober and lived happily ever after. And then, and then, she, <laughs> ran, and then she ran around like, I've been to jail. Right, right. <laughs> and that Literally. was your identity. Literally. I'm a drug dealer. Right. No, my identity was I took the rap for uh, my boyfriend, and he didn't ooh, have to uh, go to jail. Okay. And wow. I'm so you were girl. solid. I was a solid, yes. loyal chick. Yes, there right. you go. There it is. Wow. Right. There That's intense. Is. Yeah. And as soon as I got out, I started sniffing Percocet and right back to oh. it. Literally, like, I remember the day. Like, getting out and going right down, right back. Didn't, like, nothing happened. At- now, now, during this time, had you ever thought that you had a drug problem? Uh, yeah. I knew I was a drug addict since the very beginning. Okay. First time I smoked marijuana, they were trying to take the pipe out of my hand. And they were like, I mean, everyone mm. in Plymouth knew. Like, this girl is a drug addict. I was called a drug addict at, like, 13 years old. It was a known fact. Yeah. And what about drinking? Drinking, yep. Yeah, I drank. I blackout drunk. Blackout drunk. It, so was, was your dad known in the town as well? Yes. So yep, and apple don't fall t- too far from the tree. And that's what he would always say. Even if you kick it across the yard. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right. just, right. it happens. Yep. Yeah. You know? So you probably already had that name just because of your dad. Right. And my hope, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, yeah. Just it's just how it is, especially a town like Plymouth. Right. You know, there's not much going on. Well, <laughs> maybe then there wasn't. Now yeah. there is. Yeah. Now, there now there's lots Plymouth. of stuff. Plymouth. Going on. Even when I was growing up in Plymouth, it's a pretty violent place. A lot of a lot of fights. Yeah. A lot of lot of drunks. Look, my friends were like <laughs> punk rock kids, and, and you know, people would jump out of their cars and beat the crap out of my friends. Yeah, yeah, street. just yeah, just because they wore just different clothes. Yeah, you know, wore different <laughs> they weren't wearing Sperry's and right. Izods. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, yeah. and I Rock would pull up, and yeah, you know, and I Rock, <laughs> Blair and Ario Speedwagon. Okay, Sorry. so back to, back to you. Um, I don't. Where was I? Oh, ninety days. Lake, you the 90 when, days I first, when I first went into the when I first went into Brockton because I started in Brockton and Uh-oh. then it went to Dorchester and Roxbury, but I had detoxed in the room and I had no clue what was going on and I was so sick for so long and I was like I'm never gonna do pills again. And oh, then as soon as I got out, perks? I did. Yeah, because I was doing perk thirties then because that's what was out. Yeah, remember it, and like the eighties. Yep. So so you do these thirties and you have no idea. You get you get Hooked. put away. Yep. And you're like. Oh my god! I, what do I have? A cold? What do I got? The flu? Yeah, they put me in a padded room. They knew I was detoxing. Yeah. I didn't know that, and they just put me in a padded room, and it was horrible. A padded room. Right? Yeah, yeah. The only only time I ever lived in Plymouth it was at Twenty Six Long Pond Road. <laughs> and <laughs> same thing happened to me. They put me in a big giant unit, and I kicked like kung fu. Right. right it you wasn't uh, padded. No. 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 She was a minor. Exactly. The minor in the padded room. Yeah, so that sucked. That sucked. Yeah. It sucked. I bet you remember every minute of I it. I do. Yeah. I do, yeah. As do I. And then I got out and I just went right back to the same life. And yeah. And did the same exact thing. Because like, you, you had already lost the power of choice. Right. I remember right. I remember. I was I was kicking and I got arrested and I was locked in the back of a van with this dude. We were going to Nashua Street. And he uh, he was handcuffed like this and I my arm was around his. Now, I was... 170 pounds and right now i'm 216 right so i was <laughs> real thin and he was like jacked and he kept jerking me around <laughs> i was like ready to throw up and oh it was the worst time of my life we were give you this slimy sandwich when you get there oh god right <laughs> <laughs> like i can't eat that anyway okay so now you go right back to it yep i go right back to it and uh at 21, um, I got pregnant, and um, and I kind of used a little bit Suboxone, mostly, um, not prescribed. Once in a while, wasn't addicted. Um, when the baby, I went in for an emergency C-section, um, which is what I prayed for, because the whole time that I was pregnant, I just wanted to get high, you know? Yeah. And so I oh, was wow. like, oh, I really hope that I have to have a C-section so I can get Percocets, you know? Yeah. And, um, already, already yeah. planning the relapse, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it was before already, the baby was even here. Before the baby was probably yeah. even like yeah. there, you yeah. know. And uh, so, yeah, so that happened. What I prayed for, I literally prayed for that, and I had an emergency C-section. And uh, I remember the. I don't know if they knew about my. They must have known about my past, but she like held up a Park Five and she was like, "Is this going to be okay for you?" I'm like, "Yes, it's going to be fine. I promise. Like, this is great." And this is fine. And I took it. And then I took all the money that I had saved up and bought a ton of Perk 30s. And um, Mm. so then my addiction took off. And I was. uh, Now this is with a child. With a child. Yep. 
you know, I was staying in uh, my in the basement uh it was like a built room you know like they, it was nice down Finished there and, and we had um, of your dad's house of the father oh, my the daughter's father's, father's parents now house. now was was he older than you um not by much two years okay. and i had been living i had actually been living with them since oh, this is i'm going back a little bit but um i moved in with them when i was like 16 and then so, so I, they went through the whole court process as well eventually yes but the thing about my is that we were all addicts and alcoholics. Oh, so and everyone all, was involved. Everyone, yep, yep. When uh, I see. we the family was arrested for selling drugs, like this oh, whole so thing. Oh, so it was just yep. full on raid. Yeah, literally. Yep. Wow. Yep. So, so you were those neighbors. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Actually, I was in treatment when the family got arrested. I was in treatment that time, but yeah, basically. So what I grew up with was I grew up in a home raised by a single father in recovery, moved into a home where we used drugs and sold drugs together. And that was acceptable. And yeah. that was my life. Yeah. And um, and so when baby, when my daughter was born, um, I went, you know, I was pretty much not clean through my pregnancy, but just once in a while I would use, you know, and just like a little bit of a Suboxone. And then when I had her, I started using and... Um, off and running. Off and running, yep. Uh, she wasn't even... Probably, well, no, she was a month old, the first DCF phone call that we got. Um, and then they came in, investigated. I was asked to take a drug test. Of course, I faked that. Yeah. Um, so like I passed. Like any good addict would. Yep. I was actually talking about that not that long ago. I had my son. DCF would call, say, hey, we're on the way. Okay, Tyler, you got to pee in this cup for your doctor so I can... Mm-hmm. Stash it under the sink. Yep. So I could put it in the cup for mm-hmm. the DCF lady. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I made them go away that time, and then uh, some crazy things happened. And um, the what was going on at this time? Uh, you know, I was working at a restaurant, Isaac's. I was drinking an awful lot, um, and um, the father was out using, he wasn't living with me at this time. And the grandparents had asked me to go to a sober house and that they would take the baby at night and I would go to the sober house during the day. And I did that. And then, uh, they kept trying to get me to sign guardianship paperwork. I wouldn't do it. Um, then my uncle passed away. I went to his funeral and I got court documents that they had went in and filed for emergency custody so that's where all of it started with the dcf yeah so dcf is now in my life um and i'm not i'm not getting clean i'm in and out in and out in and out yeah um and and like everyone's like oh dcf sucks if you want to do the right thing they will help you Mm -hmm. a lot yeah like Right. More than you can even imagine. I mean, my relationship with them now is like they're calling me and asking if sending clients to my yeah. mom's group. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Asking me to speak at mom's groups that they run, you know? So, yeah. like, it's totally different now. But back then, I hated them and um, I thought they were just out to take my baby. And I was, you know, I was a mess. And you were angry. Angry, yep. I blamed everybody, everybody else. Because, Everyone but you. Right. Well, because, yeah, they. Yeah. I mean, they taught me how to use drugs. They taught me how to sell drugs. It's all their fault. Mm. Um, so you were going to use it them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so, Been yeah, there. I ran with that for a long time. And uh, 
I ended up leaving the father, going on an even crazier run, getting up with another guy, getting pregnant with another baby. Mm. And I'm on Suboxone at this point when I got pregnant and the doctor told me that I need to be on Subutex or Methadone. It was detrimental to the baby's health not to be on anything. So I took Subutex during my pregnancy. Um, Definitely shot heroin during my pregnancy. Baby was born addicted, and um, <coughs> at the hospital, the plan was that she was going to come home with me. Um, and then DCF called me two days before my release and said that they weren't willing to let me go home with the baby, but if I could find somewhere else to go with the baby, I could bring the baby home um, because I had you know, passed all my drug tests and done everything I needed to do, but the father, they didn't. You know, they didn't know his sobriety date, and uh, yeah. So he, was he sober? No. Yeah. So but he didn't know it either. Right. Right. And, but neither was I, because I was abusing Johnny's, and I was on the Suboxone, and I was, you know, but like, they they, don't, but they, they were not testing for that right. stuff. You know, so they thought I was like this good, you know, and I yeah. and I ran with that and used that for a long time, oh, like yeah. I was the one. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I can't believe they did this to me. But really, like in reality, looking back now, I was in no place to take and, care. And of a it's child. funny because they say. Oh, it's detrimental to the baby. Not so much true. Right. I, I know believe. somebody Cause, that was. Because ex- I know a friend who right. I actually seen her name pop up here mm-hmm. and they told her that and she was like, no. Yeah. Well, nope. I have a friend who never nobody knew anything well, about. What's and detrimental to the baby? Coming off of. Coming off of, of something suboxone. while you're pregnant. They want you to oh, go really? on to something else, right? It's all about money, but yeah. Oh. So I know someone that was exactly pregnant the exact same time I was doing everything that I was doing, and they just stopped, never told nothing, and the baby's beautiful. Yeah, fine, yeah. Her, her her daughter's gorgeous. Right. Nothing wrong with her whatsoever. Wicked smart. Yeah. Wicked smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so everything it's, happens it's, for a reason. So yeah, that it's weird. A, that if that's truly um, a known falsehood and a lie that, that is the uh, slimy evil yeah because now now you have this right infant right that's born addicted, addicted that doesn't have to be right right and they tell, they're telling be. you that it's detrimental to their health but then that either way you're you know what i mean either way it's detrimental yeah. to their health yeah and they're gonna file a fifth they're like well we'll fire they told me they were gonna file a 51a if i detox myself and i was like you're gonna file a 51a anyway when the baby's born addicted it, right you know right. what i mean um yeah, so the baby was born addicted. So what's what's a fifty one A? Fifty one A is when DCF finds you um, neglecting or abusing yeah. your child. Child endangerment or I neglect. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. So the baby was born, and I never got to take the baby home. Um, and a few weeks later, I got an opportunity to go to Stepping Stone in Fall River. Oh, yep. And they were the going to yep. They were going to send the baby with me, and I went there. And I was on Suboxone, and I was abusing my Johnnies, and I was an absolute mess, um, and I lasted about a couple weeks, if that, and I called DCF, and I um, I called DCF, and I told them to come get her, because I couldn't do it anymore, and I didn't want to take her out with me, and I wasn't going to stay clean. So they came, and they got her, and I gave her, gave them everything that she owned, and I literally handed them my baby and walked away. And that, that speaks to the power of addiction. Right. Yes. The, the, and that, that's, what, but, that's what keeps me, um, uh, you know, in, in, and I don't even have dark hours about it anymore, but in my darkest hours, I would just, like, respect the power of it. It will take you. You know what I mean? Yes. If, yes. if you don't 
do the right and, thing. And you know, I, I, you know, we can tell that it's upsetting you, um, but you made the right decision, mm-hmm. even though it was based on self. Right. It was because you, you wanted worked. to do what you wanted to do. Yeah, right. and, you, and you weren't really making. You were doing it against your own will. You're gonna yeah. do it, and you knew it. Right. Um, I but wasn't in my to, right state to, of mind. But to to take that baby through that when would have right. been she, worse. She didn't have to be. Right. So now this is the second. This is the second baby. Yep. So the the, the grandparents are with the yep. Grandparents got the first one, and now this one you turned over to DCF and. And then I tried to, I've tried to fight for a year for her, and I went to my visits, and um, <coughs> I was sitting in a foster care review one day. Um, it went from, uh, at first it was reunification because I was trying, and then it went to adoption, and I was sitting in a foster care review, and I was looking at this woman that had been taking care of my baby since she was seven weeks old, um, <coughs> which means that she was up with her all hours of the night while she was detoxing. My daughter was in at least 12 different homes in 10 days because nobody could handle her. So they put her in an intensive foster care. And um, that's where she was at seven weeks old. She went into this home and this and woman. So no time in NICU at all? Yeah, I was in. Yeah, she was in NICU for. Um, and what's that? A couple weeks. Neonatal intensive care unit. I see. So it's like the hospital. Right. Yes. And they let us okay. stay there with her while she was there. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, um, but it, I mean, it does cause, you know, colic and like, oh, yeah, just no like sleeping. us, like yeah. Yeah. we kicked open, we're, we're babies, right. you know, we cry about it. Right. It, now yeah. this is a real infant that can't even tell you what's going on. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. So, I mean, very very difficult situation to be in. Right, and um, I was so messed. Like, I didn't even have a feeling about it. Like, when right. she was born, I didn't even feel connected to her. I didn't even feel... It was... I wonder if, like, because, like, uh, my body or something knew that she was never going to be with me, if, like, I disconnected from her. But, like, I remember looking at her and not even having... It was nothing like my first, you know? Yeah, it yeah. was like I was just like, well, no, there was nothing there. As, as an addict, you know, you, I mean, my, I did it with my son. It was like, he's in the way. Right. I can't do what I want to do because of him. Right. You know, um, so. That's yeah. interesting, though. The, the, you know, a mother has instinctive right. feelings. Right. It's primal. It's, it's, that's, that's, it's when you're way, on a ton of Suboxone. Right, right. You're, so you're blocked Johnny's. off. You're blocked yeah. off. You as literally well. are fogged up, and nothing yeah. like you don't. I could literally look people in the eyes on that stuff and be like, I don't give up about my children, and I'm going to get high. Yeah. And I would look you in the eyes and do that, and then I would go do that, yeah. and I wouldn't care. Right. You know. Yeah. Just straight suicidal craziness. Every decision based on self. Right. right. Regardless of how it's going to affect anyone, you know. Okay, so now your second child is. Yep, taken. she's in. Yep, and she's been in foster care since she was seven weeks old. She's gonna be at this point. She was probably almost two, and I was sitting in the foster care review, and I was looking at this woman, and I thought, "Wow, I wish she was my mom." And I just knew at that moment that what I had to do was give my little girl to her because. I was sober at that moment, and I just remember being like, all I ever want for my kids is better. 
more Mm -hmm. than uh, more you know than i had and so i remember like talking i had everyone was just in tears that day and i just was like listen i'm gonna give her to you um and then i i cried and i apologized that i wasn't able to be everything that she she needed me to be and and then that's what i did i i signed the papers and uh we went into the courtroom and the judge asked me if anyone was making me do this and i said no and um then they said her name and they said that she will be a ward of the state until the age of 18 and i lost it and i left the courthouse in tears and i stayed clean for a tiny bit and then i ended up relapsing again i mean something like that and right you know not not being introduced into any type of recovery right I it's no now solution. now as far Absolutely as heartbreaking yeah a, a ward of the state so the woman that was taking care of her wasn't allowed to keep her or no she's adopted her but okay. she's still a ward of the state like they're the adoptive parents the state is they're, they adopted her, but they she's a ward of the state till she's eighteen. So I've, I'm guessing that means if anything was to happen to her, they would be she would be back in the state. Oh, uh, so back to foster care, right. foster home, foster right. home. I'm guessing because yeah. that's exactly what the judge said that day. Yeah, my sister went through something like that um, with her daughter, uh, but the woman that you know they fostered her with was amazing. Yeah, this woman's amazing. Like. Taught her how to surf, like yeah. My daughter's already been, yeah. My daughter's already been to Cancun. Like had an amazing life. That's what just occurred to me was I was uh, you know, my heart breaks for you. The child is 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 probably okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, not always, not not always, but it's possible. But you were under you know the influence of this fucking evil disease, and uh, and you just. The self-hatred that that brings on a person is... Yeah, uh, but also knowing that you heavy. wanted better for your daughter mm. and, and, and you probably... You proud about that. Yes, probably the the first unselfish decision you made. Yeah. Although you may have thought it was selfish, it wasn't. Right, so let's That's say this. Right. Let me say this. Because half of me wanted more for her and the other half of me was sick of DCF and dealing with their crap. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so yeah. there was, there was absolutely selfish motives behind it. Obviously, I wanted her to be with her because she was amazing, and I wish she was my mom. So why wouldn't I give that to my baby, mm-hmm. right? Right. But also, I was just so I had been dealing with DCF for six yeah, years. Like, at this get point. out of my like, life! I just want to get you know, high. Yeah, here you go. Take the baby. You're fine. I, I lost. You win. You yeah. know. Yeah. That's like my attitude at that point. I just gave up. Yeah, defeated. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, yep. And so the paperwork, I so yeah, so that happened. And then um, I got, you know, I was using for a long time, a couple, well, not a long time, a couple weeks. And um, my family ended up sectioning me. And then I got out of my section, and I was gonna get high one more time, and it was gonna be the best three days of my life. And yeah, because you want you don't want to catch a habit. You're only <laughs> right. going to do it for three days. Right. It's going to be the yeah. best three days of my best life. I had my food stamp life. card. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Hit up my sister. It was Halloween night. I was like, I need my food stamp card. She flipped out on me. I didn't even care. I was like, whatever, dude. Give it's my, my EBT card. Give me my food stamp. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute insanity. I look at it now. I'm like, oh, God. I know. I know. 
And um, <laughs> yeah, so it lasted two days. And I was in a hotel room in Taunton. And both oh, my, yes. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Taunton, yep. Uh, both my hands were blown up, both my feet and both my arms. And I was literally sitting in a bathroom just looking at myself in the mirror like, what is, how did you get here? Yeah. Like, how did you get here? This is disgusting. And both your hands were blown up? Yeah, yeah I was shooting crack all oh, night. In your hands. In my hands, in my arms, and in my feet. And Because, uh, I mean, you're doing, like, dope's like, bang, Okay, you're good for a while. Oh, I know. Crack coke, you're like coke. bang, 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 bang. Right. So gross. All night yeah. long. All I, night long. I only did it one night, and I never did it again. It's the worst. Yeah. All night long, and smoke that. It shit, was though. yeah, and it was <laughs> getting. It was five o'clock in the morning, and loser birds the guy that out. I loser. was the loser. guy that I was getting high with was sleeping. And I'm like, why is he sleeping? Like, this is crazy. Loser. Because he probably had dope hidden from you. Yeah. Right. That's why he was yeah. sleeping. <laughs> he had landing, <laughs> landing gear yeah. that he no. didn't share. Whoa. I never thought of that. Yeah. He's like, oh, she can have the rest. I'm done. Yeah. You know? yep. I, I got like that. Right. Oh. And I was uh, I was in the hotel room and the infomercial was on the fisherman. It was a fisherman infomercial. And I just like remember the smell. I remember everything that day. And I like was literally crying out to God. And I was just like, God, like, please give me the strength to call somebody to help me because I could literally call anybody to get everything that I think that I need to like be okay. You know, the drug dealer, I only had to wait eight more hours for the drug dealer and I couldn't even hold on anymore. And I mm. called my sister and she came and picked me up and uh, checked back into the psych Section 12 at the Plymouth Hospital, it was Jordan at the time, um, into the locked unit and told them I wanted to kill myself because uh. I, when you Section 12 yourself, you don't have to go to group and you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, so yeah. that's why that's what I always do. I always Section 12 myself. and um, <clears throat> You can just isolate. Yeah, you don't have to talk bed. to anybody, yeah. eat whatever you want, take yeah. meds, whatever. Yeah. And... um. When I was there... That's a pro tip right there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Um, when but, I was, but imagine that. Right. Like, I know what I got to do. Right. I, go, I just gotta oh, I'm not going to say I'm crazy. I was literally... <laughs> no, just say you want to kill yourself or yeah. somebody else. Yeah. And then you're doing a three-day. And then you can sign yourself out if you want, but you don't. Whatever. Yeah. So I went there and some people did, my sister had filled out an application for me for the Plymouth house in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Some people had been talking to me about it while I was using like the week prior. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. I'll go. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. I was like, Crazy. I'll think about it. I remember being in Middleborough and they're like calling me to talk about it. I'm like, on cocaine. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. can you hold yeah. on a second? <laughs> just, just one minute. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, so so they had done some work, and the, then my sister's like, you just have to call them, and you do an interview over the phone. I'm like, fine, okay. So I did the interview over the phone, and they were like, yep, you're in. And I got an $8,000 scholarship to go to the Plymouth wow. House in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Yep. And my sister came and picked me up. And so I had known that the 12 steps were the solution. My friend, you'd probably, Michaela. Remember Michaela? Yes. Yep. Yes, yep. yes. So she had gone through this work, and I'd known her from the Cushion House. Great was, girl. Yeah, because I was in the Cushion House with her. Uh-huh. And then years, years, years later, she comes to Watsi when I'm in there like for the 10th time, and she puts on a commitment. I'm like, what? She's like this person that I don't even know, like a totally different person. Yep. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. So that's how I knew that the 12 steps worked, because I had saw what it did to her. Yeah, you you had an example. Right. Yeah, so when I was going. big. Right. So when it's I was huge. going to New Hampshire. So that, that mustard seed right. was planted. Right. Exactly. 
And when I was going to New Hampshire, I knew. I was like, this is it. This is the answer. This you knew solution. that you were going to be okay. Yeah, dude. That's awesome. Yep. That's, I was like, that's a great feeling. Yep. I was like, this is it. I, I kept telling my sister. She didn't even believe me. She was like, you're crazy. I'm like, this is it. This <laughs> yeah, is what, it. Are you, what are you on? <laughs> yeah, like, what they give me. What'd you take? <laughs> oh, you can can't I, be high. Can I tell you a little story about this? Because this is about the obsession. This Absolutely. is really good. So I'm right before I leave. Um, so when I go into, um, it was Arbor Fuller in uh, Brookline. Okay. Okay. So I'm there, and um, apparently Fuller. I have heroin in my system, but I didn't do heroin. I was doing cocaine, and they were like, "Do you need Suboxone?" I'm like, "No, absolutely not. I've been using for two days. I just came out of a section. You know what I mean?" Yeah. And uh, he's like, "All right. Well, we're just going to prescribe it to you anyway." And I'm like, All "Really? Right. Right. See, yeah. That's that's, that's the an problem. asshole. That's, that's the problem with just in case you need. With, it. Just with, in case you want to continue your life of misery. Yeah. We'll prescribe you here, the drugs we'll, to do we'll it just, with. We'll start flushing, yeah. and you can finish it when you leave, and just everything can go right down the fucking drain. Yeah. Right. So it's, that's so, the issue with the yeah. with the just medical disgusting. field. They have no clue. They are clueless. Either well, they're clueless or it's all, all a setup. We gotta, yeah, we gotta yeah. be careful because not everybody in the medical field. No, is no, right. because I just, I just went through it. I, I had to have my appendix out. Told them I'm in recovery, and the nurse I had, Nurse Gary, shout out to you. Um, <laughs> we we had hooked a, me up with a bracelet. I saw that. Hooked yeah, me up with a that bracelet cool. that said no opioids recovery. Right. Because he said sometimes they will try and do like a preemptive strike against your pain, right? And hit me off with some, some yeah, I mean, and yeah. I'll be all. I was like, I don't want to wake up and feel high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we had a, we had uh, a nurse on here who knew qu- quite a bit. She yes. was a very very intelligent about recovery, and she was not in recovery. Right. right. Bri- Brian. Uh, Brian. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so. Yeah, so anyway. the doctor was like, uh, we're going to give it to you anyway. I'm like, fine, whatever. And uh, the nurse, co- they're coming around. Oh, not even the nurse, the person like, oh, tell me my- it's time for your meds. And I'm like, I'm like, can you? Can I just take it later if I need to? And they're like, no, you need to take this now or not. And I was like, all right, I'll be there. And like knowing that I was going to the Plymouth house to get, like this was literally the day that I went into the Plymouth house. I took that Suboxone yeah. and I was high and I hated it, but I had to do it because it was there and they told yeah. me that if I didn't take it out. No so choice, then yeah. after going through the steps, I'm like, wow, dude, there's the obsession in full mode. Well, once someone oh, yeah. breaks it down to you, breaks down right. the disease model right. then you're like, and you're like, whoa, see, I couldn't even stop myself from doing that. Right. That's right. right. It all makes sense yeah, because my right. entire life, I'm like, what is wrong with me? I kept checking into psych hospitals. I'm like, there's something wrong with me. They would put me on all these medications and everything and it would never work. Nothing ever worked. And I'm like, what is going on with me? And then when I saw the disease model at the Plymouth house, yeah. they said, mind, you get an obsession that's a reoccurring thought that doesn't respond to reason. In the body, you have an allergy, which is an abnormal reaction to a substance because you're spiritually broken. I was so, like, so they, they're trying to fix your 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 spiritual. spiritual malady with a chemical solution, right? Over and over. Why ain't this working? Right. Because it's not what fixes it. Right. It's not what helps it. Right. I remember um, when it turned to fear. It was like, yeah, whenever I got the chance, I would do it with like uh, no thought. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then when I went to turn about the second time, I was like, uh, the second month in you know what i mean and i was just so broken down that i was afraid so i went yes. to court as a as a stri- what they call a strength strength to uh f- with someone who was going to court that day and i went in to use the bathroom and i was just absent-mindedly playing with this hole in the wall in the cambridge courthouse and i pulled out a plastic bag full of pills at the courthouse and i 
threw it in the toilet and flushed it down. Yeah. I was like, fear, just fear came over my body, and I reacted immediately and threw it away. Well, the same thing happened the day we were playing softball. Insane. Oh, I know, and, yeah. I and you put your vest on, he reaches in his vest, and he pulls out like, I don't know, fucking 100 empty heroin bags. He's like, <laughs> oh, what do I do with these? I was like, throw them in the fucking trash, dude. <laughs> just throw them in the trash. Okay. Well, that and, was, I just didn't want to get caught yeah. and thrown out. But someone else could have got thrown out, too, because they obviously didn't search your shit that well. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. But, yeah, like, and, and that was the crazy. once you thing. learn what the problem is, it's very easy to work on it. Right. You know? Right. And, and being afforded the time. Simple, maybe. Being afforded the time to do. Simple. (laughs) You know, up up there, like, I know lots of people that have been up there and lots of successes, lots of people that just went up there and they knew they were going to get banged up, but, you know. Mm -hmm. At the Plymouth House? Yeah. Yeah, I always hear the successes. I I haven't heard too many of the failures, but I'm sure there is. Seems like a good place. So now you go up there, you go through the, the 12 steps. Yeah, I go through steps one through seven. Yeah. My um, notebook, I had 250 people <clears throat> that I resented. and That's not bad. Right. My notebook was 10 notebooks and eight hour read. Eight hour read. Mm-hmm. I, uh, <laughs> actually, I celebrate 17 years today. Today. Uh, and, uh, I was going to bring that up at the end. Shout out. Um, <laughs> shout out to shout you. Shout out to my higher power, not right, me. I didn't, I didn't yeah, do it. I didn't okay. do it. Right. Um and I'm writing a fourth right now, and I have 123 names. Wow. And that's being in yep. recovery, well, sobriety for 17 years. So yeah. shit happens. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so now you oh, eight-hour read. Eight-hour read. Um, I remember, like, I, when I was going through that process, like, uh, it was so crazy. I had this crazy spiritual experience where I was reading praying and talking and like i could i was like looking at myself in a third person view for like so long and i just read this me and this girl went outside to smoke a cigarette at the end her pupils were so dilated like when you take ecstasy or something and she was like we were smoking a cigarette and we're like what just happened i'm like i don't even know dude the whole world was so big and overwhelming it was like this big black sky and it was like i couldn't even breathe i was like i don't even know what's going on right now this is crazy i go back (laughs) it was insane i go back into the room and all the guys that used to be good looking like through my whole stay they were like good looking guys there and they weren't even cute anymore (laughs) i was like what the heck is going on here and just everything like felt different and looked different and i just went to sleep that night and then uh they sent me off to uh hold on can we back up for a second now you had this experience when you were reading your fourth step yeah okay so my fifth doing my fifth doing your fifth yep ah i see that's pretty cool so you had the spiritual awakening Right, but I didn't. I didn't even know at the time. It was like right. I didn't even know what it was. Just what it was, you know. Yeah. And then afterwards, I was like, "Beautiful." It was just insane. This girl was like, I'm, "She doesn't even know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Everything's just weird and different." And then the next morning, they were sending me off to uh, Dorchester, to the woman's house. How house? Yep. And yep. great place. Yep. And. Uh, I remember I needed to have like a $75. I need to have $75 for a train pass. I needed I needed all this stuff, right? And I literally have, you know, I've spent my life in institutions. Um, I had no clue how to live life. So like leaving the Plymouth house, you know, getting doing my fifth step and then going on 
to further tr- like to going to a sober house where I have to pay rent and do all of this stuff and get a job and live life was like wicked scary and wicked overwhelming and I remember just being so afraid and I got there and there was like you know you gotta get a job and you gotta have a, a train pass for the week or a month it was like 75 I don't know if it was the month or the week and I was like I don't even know how I'm gonna do this I don't even have cigarettes I have nothing you know yeah. like my sister dropped off like a bag of clothes and um that place is extremely structured and extremely structured stru- the the so- success rate is very good yes and like so i go there and um we we're all on job search and um i was reading this book and it was called uh your best you now by joel osteen and he was talking about giving everything to god and then trusting that he's going to take care of you right and so he said to like give everything that you have and i didn't have much i had food stamps and a pack of newport 100s and i went out <laughs> to the city with the girls and we went on job search and i gave out all my newports and i bought food for people and gave the homeless stuff whatever and a couple of minutes later, I walked into a restaurant, got hired on the spot for exactly what I needed to make in order to pay rent. And I was like, wow, wow. that's crazy, you know? Everyone's like, you're so it's lucky. I'm like, though, it's not luck. I'm like trying to tell them. They probably think I'm crazy. I'm like, yeah. I read this book and did it. Like, whatever. It's not like a nut job. <laughs> but that's that's a thing. Once once you're open-minded. Right. Like, it's... And I tested Stuff happens, I was like, man. I'm going to test yeah. him and see if this is real. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I trust you, God. Like, and it, but and I it was no okay with the house and everything. Right. Yeah, so I did that, and I got the job, and then I didn't have any clothes for this job. My roommate was an older woman, and she had nice clothes, but she was an older woman. And <laughs> older she, dressed, she, dressed, she dressed me to be a hostess, and it was so uncomfortable. And I had, like, it was just nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked. So it was, like, old woman attire? Is yes. that what you're saying? Yep. Okay. And I took the took uh, the train into work every day, and I worked, and... Um, and and then I was able to get my own clothes and I went to like the stores out in Southie and got or like Salvation Army or whatever I ended up getting my own clothes and like that was better but I remember like being on um, being on the train and being wicked depressed and like not knowing how I was going to do this life thing you know because I'm 27 years old and I don't have anything you know right. and I'm like I don't had know you even to... had a job no well I've had jobs but like yeah. not for long periods of time yeah. it's just you know get by yep. you know yep. and um so I'm 27 years old. I'm on this train. I'm going into work and I'm working and I'm just like, I don't even know how I'm going to live. Like it was, there was so many, I had so much depression and like suicidal ideations, like throughout pretty much the very beginning of my sobriety was like that. It was really hard for me. No fear though, right? Full of fear. Full of fear. <laughs> fear, doubt, insecurity. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could make it. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, you know? But that's, just, you know, we don't know why that's going on, but that's normal. Right. But yeah. we can't think of that right. at the time. Like you, you, your solution has been taken away. Mm-hmm. Your solution That's to right. life is gone. Now life is hitting you and in the face totally at a hundred miles an hour. Different, literally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, what the? F-? And you, you haven't know? felt emotions in forever. Yeah, you've been, all of a sudden you've been you're com- feeling all this comfortably stuff. numb. Right. For it's like a raw nerve. Yeah, I remember it fondly. Really, it was a uh, something else. You know. Yeah, I, I, I remember that, but also. I remember working, get well job, which later on turned out to be a very good job. Working a get well job and just like, oh, wow, how am I going to do this? And then just all of a sudden, like, wow, I think I'm going to be all right. Mm. I think I might be able to do this. Mm. And like, just the worry falls away, you know? Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, I I'm not saying it's gone forever. Before. 
I don't remember a moment like that, but no? I'm sure there was one. I mean, I and I, I had another one like when I was having waiting to have my appendix out. Like I had just been through like a relationship and all this stuff and and I'm up there and I'm completely alone in this big giant room that would probably hold 30 beds. And I'm one little bed in the corner. And there's like one little light on and it's like really dark and I'm like wow. I've like been I've been there for like so many people and now I'm here all by myself. You know so many people would have been there for you. Right, you right. And us. yeah. Absolutely. But like at but that moment I just that yeah, to you. yeah. That's what that was the thought that occurred like wow, this is really sad. But then that thought was supplanted right away with no, I'm not alone. Right. Like, of course not. And and it was like I could feel it, you know. I could feel that I wasn't alone, that I was gonna be okay. But I was, you know, I'm worrying about pain medication. How am I gonna feel? Blah blah blah. Because I've already been that route. Right. I, I I had a skiing accident, hit the ground, got up. Oh, pain meds. By a doctor, I'm good. And <laughs> that was that was kiboshed by my son walking in the room, and he says, "Dad, you know you can't take painkillers, right?" Hmm. And I was like. You're right. I can't. <laughs> you know, higher power was just like boom, yep. always, always yeah. there. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy how that happens. So right. now you're depressed, depressed, suicidal, not knowing how I'm going to live life. Um, just kept putting one foot in front of the other, and yeah, you know the the how house was very strict with like talking to men and stuff. Oh yeah. And, Guy um, contracts. Right. Like, I'm, like, a month clean, like, sober, you know? Like, yep. and so... But you didn't have no guy issues. Right. I didn't... <laughs> I, I need to talk to my baby daddy, like, yeah. whatever. And um, so I didn't want to follow the rules. So uh-huh. this, is, this is the real deal that I can talk about now that my family knows the truth, and I'm three years... I'm, I made it, all right? You know what I mean? So I lied to them at the, in the beginning. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so they there was these rules that I didn't want to follow, so I didn't follow them, and I got kicked out, but I pretty much made myself get kicked out by doing everything they told me not to do. And um, then I went to another home in Quincy um, so I could pay my own. All I had to do is literally pay rent there, you know what I mean? Um, so I paid rent, um, went to that sober house, uh, lots of people getting messed up. Um, I just kept doing my step work. I was on step nine at that point um, and making amends. So I was doing my step work, still going to work, doing what I had to do. And um, it was snowing out. And I remember walking to Quincy Center every day. I'm like, when is this ever going to end? You know, it just felt like forever. Getting on the train, going to work, walking back at night. Like it was just like, ugh, you know, just to live, just to survive, like just to have a dollar, literally one dollar in my pocket. You know, most of the time I don't even know how I made it, you know? Yeah. And uh, sounds really familiar. So crazy. And then at, uh, and then I'm so at this time, my father is really sick with cancer. And um, I knew this and I was in denial about it. And um, I wasn't even 90 days clean at this point, And I got a phone call that he had a week left to live. Oh, and he's in Oklahoma. Oh, right. So I'm in a sober house. I need to go to Oklahoma. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there. I don't even like yeah. I just want to run, you know, yeah, fear. Yeah. Right. And I hadn't run the whole time. I Like when I was suicidal and I had gone through all this time where I just want to run away. I didn't run away. I kept going forward, kept going forward. So this came and I wanted to run, but I couldn't run. There was nowhere to run to, you know, and 
my cousin gave me the, the money to get on a bus and I got on a bus and I took a bus to Oklahoma and the whole way up to Oklahoma I was literally praying because I had found out in my fourth step that I was a selfish selfish person and every decision I made was based on me regardless of how it's going to affect anyone around me mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be that anymore I wanted to be there for my dad I wanted to be there for him and not make it about me yeah. I make everything yeah. about me yeah you know we all I mean? do and I didn't want to do that I just wanted to be there mm-hmm. and so I, I literally just prayed the whole entire time. And um, the third step prayer, like I literally just kept praying the whole ride. It was insane. And I get there and my dad's like, my dad used to be a big guy. He was strong, like just, you know, just that was like, he was my mom, my dad, my whole life, my only parent. But I, because of my addiction, the last five years of his life, I just hated him and was really mean to him, you know. And so I'm looking at my dad and I go into the house and he's just really skinny and his fingers are really small and his legs are really small and he's bald and he's sick, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I was there with him for his last week. I, you know, I read the Bible to him. I prayed with him. We talked, I told him I was sorry for some things and he said it didn't matter anymore. All that's left is love and forgiveness. And, mm. The whole family came on. It was Valentine's. All of his kids, he has seven kids. My other sister drove up from Plymouth to be there with us. Everyone was there. We had a good time. And my dad, you know, was in the bed or whatever. And then and then everyone was gone. And it was just me and my brother and my dad. And um, it was just me and my dad at first. I was reading the Bible to him. And he was just, like, so messed up, you know. Kept getting up and down, up and down. He didn't know what to do. It was, like, yeah, the very so end of his life. So he was basically on hospice. Yep. He was on hospice. And they probably I had called on hospice. Yeah, he was on tons of yeah. medication. I called hospice, told him that he wasn't doing good because he kept saying, give me more meds, give me more meds. I, I'm in so much pain. He was literally crying to me, and I was like, I can't give you more meds. They tell me I can't, you know? So I called hospice. They were supposed to come. And I looked up, and it was just me and my dad, and I didn't want to be alone with my dad, so I went and got my brother in the other room, and we sat in the room with him. And then... Um, and then my dad stood up to walk from the bedroom to like the bed to the toilet like the you know the handicap thing yeah. that we had and everything just went in his whole entire body and he literally just died in me in my brother's arms and i was like freaking out i'm like what are we gonna do we got to do something there's something that we have to do we have to do something you know like going crazy even though i knew this was gonna happen mm. you know yeah. and he died in me in my brother's arms and um and then hospice finally showed up and they cleaned him up and i remember being in the room with him alone and i was just like sobbing and i was so sad and i kept saying sorry and then then i went outside and then they took his body away and i lost it totally lost it because they were taking his body away because now that means he's gone forever you know and so they took his body and i just lost it and i remember freaking out and my family's like you need to go to a meeting and i'm like i'm it's not about going to a meeting. This has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. Like, I don't know how to live. I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? I can't even breathe, you know? And uh, I met this guy. My dad My dad was a really big part of AA. They used to call him Boston Bill in Oklahoma. And I met this guy, and he talked about Boston Bill. And so I knew he knew that my dad. So I went in only because he knew my dad, you know? Mm. And he told me, like, the meaning of life. And he was, like, going on and on about all kinds of stuff, man. And I just listened to him. And and then I just felt God inside of me. And it was just like I was so calm and relaxed. And I went home and went to sleep finally because I had been up for 24 hours. And um, I, we put on a service out in Oklahoma. And then we came home. And I was homeless again. But my grandmother let me stay with her because I wasn't going back to the sober house, you know. And uh, I stayed with her. And then 
we put on a service back home and I wrote a tribute to my father and I was there when it mattered the most and I said the tribute and it was beautiful and I didn't cry and I just stood there and and um then my apartment came up I got an apartment two-bedroom apartment and um and this is back here back in Plymouth mm-hmm. that yep. uh the what occurred what I think of is that that that's that's a beautiful story actually yes Right, because God, you know, I was really upset for a while. But if you think about this, it was always the three of us growing up, right? Just me and my dad and my brother. And then the last week of his life, in the last moments of his life, it was the three of us. And God gave that to me. And you were able to apologize. Yep, and I was able to be there. And I was able to be there when it mattered the most. And even though there was awful things said and I have some regrets, I was there. And and he saw me. Yep, and I was sober. Awesome. Yep, and I didn't and, take. And he had already told you that it was all forgiven. Yes. But all that's left us as addicts and alcohol, we need more. I held know? on. I held on to this for years, like yeah. for two years. Yeah. I literally, like, was so sad and full of anger and like that's, mad at myself. That's the grief process. It's yeah. like it's like uh, disbelief, anger, acceptance. Yeah. Like graveside amends to my mom and grandparents. Got no response. Right. I'm like, oh, I'll bang these out. They'll be easy. I would rather have them told me to kick rocks or, you know, go shit in your fist or something. But I got nothing, you know, and it was shit it was, in your fist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was tough, man. <laughs> yeah. I that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get rid of those other ones. Get some endorphins going. Um, so now what is life like today? Today, um, I have a little boy, and I had, I got him pregnant when I was four months clean and sober, and I um, went through so much depression when I was pregnant, and I just kept pushing through, kept pushing through, you know. And um, I have a little boy, and I have full custody. DCF's never been involved. I've actually called DCF and given them my phone number and my address, and I'm like, come in anytime you want. <laughs> hey, I know we got history, but. Like I no, wanted yeah. them. I literally, when I the baby was born, I gave them the first poop, and they looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, "Dude, I I'm just here." Just. Here's here's his mercomium. Would you like to test it? Would you like to test it? Yeah. Right. So, um, and you know, with the um, when I had the baby, I had to have a C-section again. I was in labor for 50 hours. Nothing Ooh. worked. They told me that you know because I was trying to have a regular birth because I didn't yeah. want Percocets. Yes. Yes. And. Um, I had to have the C-section. They gave me the epidural. I was high. They told me I wouldn't be high. They lied. I was high. I hated it. And then I didn't take any medic. All I did was ibuprofen and Tylenol. I didn't, and I, you know, and I got through that. And I was like, wow, thank you, God, because I was afraid of the obsession hitting once the medication. Imagine that Tylenol and ibuprofen work. Right, and it's better. Yeah, imagine that. Because I can move around. Like it's just better. That's what I did for this. Like alternate every three hours. Yep, me too. And then the liquid. They had liquid one. It it works. Yeah, works really well. When you're in the obsession and right. and, and you want the phenomenon of craving, it's like, oh, kick it in. Yeah, right. Give me more. And um, so and and my eight year old. So I have an eight year old little girl. Um, I'm still in three years later, still in the court system fighting for rights for her. Um, but we have an amazing relationship. She loves me in the beginning. Cool. She didn't want me. She pushed me away, and now yeah. she wants me. Yep. And I see the pictures, she, you know, and I really appreciate you 
Because I know you said tonight was a night that you would have got to spend with her. Yes. Oh, and you my gave God. it up to be here. Well, thank you well, so much. Well, this was the thing. I gave it up to be here, and then her father called me I, and said she was going skiing, and I, after You gave it up because you were going to have the weekend. Right. I gave it up because I was going to have the weekend yes. with her, and I was like, okay, oh. God, I'm going to do this free. Honestly, I'm like, I'll just do it for him because whatever. Yep. And then that happens. He's going to go away for the weekend, so then I'm really sad, but then it ended up working out really well. God is so good. He like puts together these little things, and it all makes sense because mm. now I can have her for my son's birthday. Which I wasn't going to have her for. So now she gets to spend oh, wow. birthday now, with her brother. Right. That's and cool. be there. So God nice. did all that. God knew what right. was going on. His plan right. is so much better than right. ours. Right. And it's just like yeah. a little glimpse of it. Yeah. So keep but, trusting But we'll, we'll buck it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Is this gonna, I don't know if this right. is going to work. Is right. this really going to work? I don't, I don't like this. Right. We don't have to like his plan. Right. But it's way better than ours. Absolutely. Way yeah. better. Yep. Um, and then also, I have an amazing relationship with a daughter that I gave up for adoption, her mother. I have still not um, had a visit with the, my daughter that I gave up because I'm not ready yet. Um, she doesn't know she's adopted. She'll find out this year. Yeah. Um, oh, me and the wow. mother, we talk every day. She sends me pictures. She's like That's amazing. Awesome. She loves so me. So the, the eight-year-old wow. is, is was the one that was with the grandparents. Yep. And, then, and now I have her half the time, but I'm still fighting for legal yep. rights. And then... So then, then Alan, uh, then the one I gave up for adoption, she is with the mother, and she's happy and healthy. She has a beautiful life, beautiful life, and way better than you could have ever, ever done. Ever, so ever, it worked out, right? So that worked and out. me and the mom love each other. And then I have a son who I take care of all the time. Me and uh-huh. his father, we co-parent, and it's beautiful. Um, I'm a Sunday school teacher at my church. I started a group for moms in recovery. It's called Recovering Moms Helping Moms. All it is is moms in recovery sitting down in a circle and talking and supporting and loving each other. And we have resources, local resources for the women if they need anything. Um, I partner with my faith community church because they help with whatever we need. Do you know what I mean? And and this child care there. Yep, child care, which is amazing. Just yeah. Okay. Take yep. a break. And they're paid, and they're professional, and yes. they're certified. You know. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. Yep. And this is in Plymouth. Plymouth. Yeah, twenty nine Carver Road. All right. I uh, got the I got the link on the description right, right there. Click on it. Yep. Nice. And, uh, and I'm an amazing mom, and I'm happy, and I have my own apartment, and I have a car, and I clean houses. Start my own little business. Fantastic. See, imagine that. Right. This this this. There is no limit. There is no limit to what we can achieve. Give up one thing for everything. We give up one thing for everything. Or give up everything for one thing. Yep. And I suffer so she never has to. There you go. Yes. Mm. Thank you so much. That was extremely powerful. That was Um, a fantastic story. And if there's people out there that didn't cry, uh, there's people commenting. I'm sitting, you know, so it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Perfect. Very powerful. I'm grateful Beautiful. for it, and I Thank you, God. really appreciate you coming on here. And yeah, so do I. That was amazing. Thank you. So Thanks a lot, and congratulations to Chris once yes. again. Oh yeah, seventeen years. Shout out to the Geo Dizzle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so lolterms.com, the Life on Life's Terms podcast, and that's a wrap. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, everybody have a happy New Year, and. Stay safe. Stay safe. Peace. Peace. I live in this